Lord, we're, great, we're grateful for the day. We thank you for the gathering of your church together. Uh, we're both some familiar faces and some new faces. And so, um, Lord, help us to get to know each other and form in us the community that you had in, in mind when Jesus said those great words that he would build his church. Lord, today around Kingstown and Alexandria and all of D.C. Metro, the region of D.C. Metro, churches like us are meeting They're gathering, they're worshiping, pastors are exhorting their people, encouraging them in the word and in the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet with all those churches, Lord, that you would open ears to hear your word, that you would open eyes to see Jesus in a new light today. God, that you would save souls by the message of the gospel. We pray that same thing for for us today, right here in this room. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come And that we would sense your presence. We would know that you are near. Lord, that we would give attention, our own attention, to the words of Scripture that you say in your word. It's able to teach us and to reprove us and to correct us and train us in righteousness. Would you do that today, Lord, as we meet? And we pray this in Jesus' great name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And Amen. Well, check it out, folks. we preach from the Bible, uh, and I usually preach, you know, past the scripture and um, line by line sort of unfolding what it says, really in the context of what was presented for us in the scripture, and then applying it as best I can to the lives that we live right here in the, in the 21st century. So I'm going to do that today. Um, if you have a Bible, then I would encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in the 41st through the 47th verse, and we're going to take a look at all of those for a few minutes today. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. As you came in on that table right over there, there's a stack of Bibles. We generally use the ESV version. Those Bibles are there for you. It's a gift for you if you don't have a Bible. So if if you want to get up now, you can. If you're embarrassed, then on your way out, just sneak one, put it in your pocketbook or (laughs) however you want to do it. And uh, just know that those are there for you. We don't have a lot of traditions here at the transit. We haven't been alive long enough. But we do have one, and that is we actually read the passage of Scripture together out loud. If this is your first time, don't be afraid. We're all going to do it together. And, uh, and I should have brought my glasses up here, but I did not. So I'm going to do my best to help, you, uh, to help you along. And honestly, I do need my glasses. So uh, let's start reading together. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, As any had need and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So during our first two weeks, as we launched the transit, my goal is to unfold for you who we are as a church, our mission, our vision, what God God has called us to do. Last week, we looked at Matthew 16, that great passage where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. And from that, we learn principally that Jesus says he's going to build his church. 
He's going to build his church. And, you know, a lot of times we have this perspective. We say these words. I'm going to church uh, as if church is something that we do. What we learned last week is church isn't a building. Church really isn't even something that we do. We are the church. And so when Jesus says he's going to build his church, he's really talking about building us. He's going to use us to advance his kingdom on planet Earth. That's what we learned last week. Today, our focus really is on the vision and the mission of the transit. Our mission, simply stated, is to glorify God by making disciples. And this isn't a a special thing that we're doing. It's a special thing, but it's not individual to us. I would tell you this is the mission of every church that meets and gathers on Sundays and throughout the week throughout our world. All churches are commissioned in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, to make disciples, okay? Baptize them, teach them all the things that Jesus did as he walked the earth. And so our mission isn't special. We are partnering with all churches across the world that really do that. Now, vision is a little different. Vision can be special. It can be unique. I had the privilege this week of going to Fort Belvoir and participating on Thursday in the National Day of Prayer. And the, the speaker, the featured speaker that day was noted author, uh, film, film right, and um, prolific speaker, Jim Stovall. And it was, I mean, he was, a, I mean, motivational speaker. I was impressed and blessed by what he said. The interesting thing about Jim is he's blind, blind since he was 29. And he had a promising football and wrestling career, was an actual Olympic athlete uh, in his early years. And this man said this in regards to vision, being a blind man. He said, sight, being able to see is a good thing. It tells you where you are and what is around you. He said, but sight pales in comparison to vision, for vision shows you what's to come in the future. And that really is what I want to convey to you in regards to the transit and our vision. Our vision is transformed lives, impacted communities. Instead, it's simply our vision is about life change, life change that leads to community impact. When I close my eyes and dream at night, thinking about the people that God would bring into our community for this church, I, I see him doing that in our lives of changing us so much so that we would we would be so radical about Jesus and the message of his gospel that it would spill over into everything that we do, into our neighborhoods, where we work, where we recreate absolutely everything that we do. So how does Jesus change everything that we do? How does he change us so that it impacts everything that we do? It simply is by the application of the gospel to our hearts by means of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Another way of viewing life change is through the lens of discipleship. That really is the, the angle that I'm going to come at you today in this passage here. Our lives as believers should be marked by consistent life change as we're following Jesus. If we're truly following Jesus, we can't help but change. All we have to do is look at these disciples as they are, as their lives unfold in the Gospels. As the closer they got to Jesus, the more they changed. And they continued to change even after he uh, was resurrected and, and went to heaven. 
Discipleship and the local church are connected. If the mission of the church is to make disciples, you cannot separate the two. They are meant to go together. You can't grow in your faith as a disciple without adequately including the church in your faith. And that really is the theme of the text that we're going to look at uh, for a few minutes today. Let me give you some background to this book of Acts before we dive into it. Uh, the, the book of Acts was written by, the, uh, the, by Luke. He's a Gentile. Many think he was uh, a physician or a doctor of some sort. His first book was the Gospel of Luke. And so the, the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, as it's formally called, uh, is a sequel to what he wrote in the, in the Gospels. Luke is trying to help us see Jesus, the man who is God. Specifically, he's trying to help us see uh, how Jesus brings salvation to all. Okay, to all sinners, all who will believe he's offering the gift of salvation to all of us here in Luke, in the book of Acts. What he's doing is he's writing a very distinct history of the early church. He's right. It says the Acts of the Apostles. But if you pay attention, he's really showing us um, the early church through the, the lens of Peter and Paul foremost. In terms of context for this particular passage, verses 41 through 47, we got to back up a little bit to the very beginning of the book of Acts. Um, As we open the book of Acts, we see that Jesus, uh, the resurrected Jesus, is instructing his closest friends, his disciples and the others that had gathered, had, had consistently gathered around with them. And he gives them a command. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible, definitely in the book of Acts, is Acts um, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' intent there is for them to go to you know, the center of the known world, Jerusalem, and to hunker down until he gave them the wherewithal to do the mission that he had already told them to do. I want you to go and make disciples. You're going to do it in my authority. But before you do it, I got to give you something that you don't quite have as of yet. And then, you know, this is one of my favorite scenes. It really is. This is one of my favorite scenes in all the Bible, because uh, after that moment, Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples, it says they're just they're just staring. Can you imagine? First of all, they knew who Jesus they knew who Jesus was. He was the resurrected, but they, I mean, he was a man that they had a revelation that he's God, but I don't know if they had ever seen anybody ascend to heaven. I mean, have you? No, seriously. And so, and angels, it doesn't say angels, but two men in white robes, these are angels, guys, from Galilee, says, gentlemen, all right, I, I know this is a spectacle to you. You've probably never seen a man ascending into heaven, but this Jesus that's going up, stay tuned. He's going to come back down in the same way. So I just love how God shows us the, just the natural character of the people that were following Jesus. All right, fast forward to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples, getting them ready to do the thing that Jesus had called them to do. And we see these words in the, verse, uh, the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, I'm trying to read the writing, they were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave 
them utterance. Um, you know, a lot of times we've, we focus on a particular thing in this passage. I, I see two things that are of note for you, and I don't know if it's going to be exactly what, what you may have been taught in the past, but here it is. This is the first time the Holy Spirit has been poured out to fill believers. And that's different than thinking that the Holy Spirit hasn't been active in the Bible up to this point, because truly the Holy Spirit has been active on the scene, involved in men's lives since Genesis one verses two, where it says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the the waters of the earth. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament really was the way he acted was he um, worked to empower people for leadership. And he anointed for service. Let me give you some examples. Aaron was anointed for service to be the priest of the nation of Israel. Moses was empowered as a leader to go and lead the Israelites out of captivity through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. Um, Samson. The Bible says Samson would shake himself and the Holy Spirit would come on him to empower him to be the judge that he was in delivering Israel from the Philistines, one of their formidable enemies. Um, Elijah and Elisha, prophets, they were anointed to to prophesy and to to be wise in their service to God. That's just really, this really is how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Here, this is something totally different, guys. This is something totally different. The Holy Spirit is being poured out as Joel prophesied, and He's filling the lives and the hearts of believers so that they would have. Instant comfort and instant teaching and instant wisdom, the very power and presence of God living inside of them. That's what's happening here. Jesus did this so they would be able to go and do what he told them to do. Go in my name, in my authority, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to do what I've already taught you to do. The second thing, and we we really make a lot of fuss about this. But the, the speaking in tongues thing, this miracle of speaking in tongues is different than what we see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. This is not the gift of speaking in tongues. The word tongues here is the word glossa, meaning languages, the Greek word glossa languages. What is happening here is God has taken these 120 disciples who were hunkered up in the upper room and he's poured his spirit out on them. He performed the miracle of taking languages that they did not know and helping them speak those languages such that those who were in Jerusalem and this was Pentecost. So people had come from all over the known world to to worship God. And let me give you an example of what the known world was. It says they came from the Parthenians and Medes and the Elamites. They came from Mesopotamia, from Judea, from Cappadocia. They were from Persia, from Pamphylia, from Egypt. They were from Cyrene. They were from Rome. They were Cretans. They were Arabians. They came from all over the world. And so God gave this great miracle. He gave people, unlearned people who had no way of knowing all of these different languages. He used their mouths to speak the words of God. They were glorifying God. And I believe they were articulating the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, life, death and resurrection so that these people could understand it. That really is what's going on in this passage. I think the point here is, is this. God really is all about contextualizing the gospel so that those who don't know it 
can hear it in a means that they can understand it. And God wants us to do that very same thing right here in the 21st century. And so after that, Peter preaches the gospel. Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, just lays it out. He, he preaches the gospel. He talks about Jesus from, um, from the Old Testament Um, the Old Testament prophecies of him coming, of a Messiah coming. He talks about Jesus from the perspective of, you know, this man who did mighty signs amongst you, this very same man. He is the Messiah who God, uh, who by lawless hands was put on the cross. But really, it was the providence and the will of God that put him on the cross. This is this is that Jesus. And that leads us to verse 41. So verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. This represents 3000 new believers, new disciples that weren't following Jesus the few minutes before they came to faith. To add to the 120 that were, this is instant church growth. They went from a medium sized church to a mega church and after one Holy Spirit empowered sermon. I said, God, do that for me one day. (laughs) Do that for me. So it's already happening. Can you see it? It's already happening. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't come against it. And then fast forward to Matthew 28. He said, all authority has been given to me. Go and baptize disciples, you know, in my name. Okay, teaching them all that I've done. It's already happening. Immediately after Jesus' resurrection, it's already happening. They're making disciples. It's important for us to see how they're making disciples. Two things are happening, and only two things. They are proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming the goodness of Jesus' perfect life, death and resurrection, and and it's being fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what's changing people's lives. It's taking dead lives that don't know God, And the message of the gospel with a little bit of Holy Spirit added to it is bringing those dead lives to life. And it's changing them, changing them to the perspective, to the to the magnitude of people that don't know God, know God and are worshiping him from 120 to 3000 and one fell swoop. Notice the words they received his word. They received his word. This is the way God calls us into his kingdom. We come into the kingdom by God calling us by his gospel word. People become Christians or disciples. Really, those two words are interchangeable. Christian means little Christ. It means it's like your kids are are many yous, little little me's. This is the same kind of a connotation. Uh, We are little Christ in that we are imitating Jesus. Disciple means a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to use those words uh, interchangeably. We become Christians. When we respond in faith to the message of the gospel, you ever notice that um, Luke here says with many other words, he bore witness. He's saying that I, I can't even get I can't get in this book all the things that Peter said in his sermon. But here are some of the things that he said. And I've already articulated these. He says, men of Israel, uh, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. I'm look, I'm, I'm reading some of the verses in Acts chapter two, verse twenty two. Uh, This is a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders. He said, this is the Jesus that was walking around you and you knew who he was. But but check this out. His miracles point to the fact that he actually was God. More than that, he says, uh, 
Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him, but this was God's doing. Then skip down to verse 30, uh, 31. He speaks of David and David prophesying that Jesus was to come and, and, and be resurrected. He says, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he, was, uh, that he would not be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus got raised up. Um, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out on you that which you're seeing and hearing. He's saying this this Holy Spirit outpouring is is also something that you aren't familiar with. It's been prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus being resurrected is prophesied in the Old Testament. And not only does history prove this out. We ourselves are witnesses, all of us, especially those who were closest in those those 11, those 11 disciples, because Judas is at this point is 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 dead. We are witnesses. And what we are testifying is what has actually happened. And then in verse 36, he says this. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, he's the Messiah. We're, you're all seeking a Messiah, someone to save you. Jesus is him. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 38, he says, repent and believe. He's calling them to faith. He's calling them to faith the same way we have to be called to faith today. Salvation comes by us trusting uh, in the person that Jesus is, who the Bible presents him to be, and his work, that he lived a perfect life for us because we can't, that he died on the cross in our place for our sin so that we would not have to. And as a, as a sign that God received his sacrifice, God raised him up from the, from the dead and, and ascended him to heaven where he is right now at the right hand of God the Father and will come as Lord God, Savior, and King. This is Peter's sermon. This is the gospel. This really is the gospel. Now, sometimes we confuse the gospel. We think it's good advice. This is what good advice is. When you open up your newspaper and you read Ann Lander's column, y'all don't don't pretend like you've never read that. <laughs> Where somebody writes in and says, "Ann, can you tell me I've got a uh, I've got a friend that has this problem going on?" And they'll write to Ann, and Ann will t- Ann will give them good advice. Ann knows everything. That's what good advice is. Oftentimes, when we're turning on our news at night, and you're seeing all this stuff come across your TV, that's not news, folks. That's just that's just the news people trying to give us advice on how we should organize our lives or what we should believe. Good advice. Don't don't run your your lives on good advice, because somebody that has advice for you uh, could be steering you in the wrong direction. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. This is what good news is. The word gospel in the Greek is evangelion. And the connotation is uh, something that needs to be heralded. Imagine uh, a king in the old in, in olden days that has his army around him and he goes out to battle. He actually wins the battle against a formidable foe and they come back to their homeland because his province is spread out from here to California. He wants to go tell everyone in this province from city to city that we have won the battle. We will continue to be as good and as bad as, as we have been for the many years that we've been allowed to be. And so he takes his herald. 
He gives him a trumpet and he gives him a message. Go and spread this message throughout our province. And the guy gets on his horse. He gets on his horse and he goes from province to province, heralding, proclaiming the good news that we've won the battle. This is what the gospel is. And the proclamation that's being heralded is that Jesus has gone against a foe and he's won a battle. And the battle is for your soul. The Bible says that when you come to faith, God has stripped you. He has pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness and pulled you into the kingdom of his son, which is the kingdom of light. That's the battle that Jesus has won. And so the gospel is that you are incredibly evil, that you are sinful, and there's no way for you to save yourself should you have a rescuer. And the rescuer is Jesus. And so Jesus comes. He lives the life that you could never live. He does everything perfectly right. And then by God's plan, he goes to the cross and he dies a vicarious substitutionary death in your place for your sin. Vicarious. That means Jesus felt in his body all the things that you should have felt if you were being punished. The pain, the shame, the remorse, the guilt, the abandonment from God. Jesus incurred that in his body. Demonstrated on the cross and then his blood was spilled and God received the sacrifice. And for that, God takes your sin puts it on Jesus, and he gives you God's righteousness. That means he gives you, by his grace, you don't deserve it. He just gives it to you um, just because of Jesus, to, uh, the, the, the opportunity to be in relationship with him. That's good news. That is good news. And that really is what Peter is talking about in this sermon. i got to speed up. Second thing that we should note from this verse 41 is the work of the Holy Spirit. It really This is a new thing. This is the Holy Spirit being poured out in this miracle at Pentecost such that he's coming on people and into people in a brand new way. And this is indicative of the new covenant that Jesus initiates when he comes on the scene, dies and resurrects. The Holy Spirit is what regenerates us. It it comes in and sort of turns a light bulb on inside of our body and makes us aware that there's even a God out here that loves me and is willing to be in relationship with me. And then someone preaches the gospel. They tell me how bad I am and that I'll never be good unless I come and have somebody rescue me. I'm in the water. I'm drowning. I'm flailing. And there's no way for me to save myself. Should I not have someone come and save me? That that savior is Jesus. Then I'm going to die a fitful death. And so. The Holy Spirit wakes me up to that through the gospel. And then I hear the message of the gospel and I come to faith in him when I trust Jesus to be my savior. This is really what's happening in Acts chapter two. And it should be happening today in our lives as we're making disciples right here where we live. All right. So verse 42, I'm going to speed up now. All right. Y'all okay? So verse 42 through 47 are interesting verses. Very interesting because you guys have heard these before and many would tell you this is the model of how we're to do church. Some look at these verses and they see ministries of the church. They see um, teaching and fellowship, worship and prayer, benevolence, evangelism. Others, and for those of you who have been in the church world a little bit longer, you know that we have denominations 
and churches that they focus on one aspect that we see here. We see here in verse 42 through 47, and they only do that. Okay, and of course, if they're only doing that, that can cause some problems. I'm going to give you a couple examples. First, you have the teaching of the word church, and these are churches that are word focused, and these are absolutely awesome churches because they have a very high view of scripture. Usually the pastor is going to open up the Bible, much like I'm doing today, and he's going to pick a passage, and he's going to go line by line. He's going to put the passage in context of, of what was happening when it was written, and he's going to apply it to the lives of, of where we live today. Um, that's a good thing, and we should be doing that. Some of the issues with churches that only do this is they miss all the other things that a church should be doing in terms of uh, not being so inward and gaining these are high knowledge churches. And so it, 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 it proves people who have great intellect. I, you, you come out knowing the doctrines of the church. You come out understanding theology and you have a high opinion of who God is. But sometimes if, if you only do that, then um, you're not building the community of faith. You're not doing benevolence. You're, you're not growing in terms of new converts. And that can be a bad thing. The second would be a community church. These are relationship-focused churches, and these are awesome churches. The, the average church in America, the, the most prevalent church in America, is the community church. These, uh, and these are churches that are between 75 and 125 people. Community churches focus on um, uh, relationship, okay, building relationships, and that is a very good thing. When you see a community church, oftentimes they don't have a lot of overhead. They don't have a lot of structure because they don't they don't need it. They're focused on meeting the needs of the people that come such that if you have a need, everybody's going to know about it. And we're going to be able to fulfill that need within the people who are in our church. One of the issues with the community church is it becomes insular. It becomes inward. And if I'm a new person trying to go to that church, I'm going to have a hard time breaking in because everybody knows each other. And they ain't letting nobody else in, oftentimes. But those are generally good churches. The third would be a devotion church. These are prayer, word-focused churches. These center around celebrating and being in God's presence. This is, the, this is the deal about these churches, and I love it. They actually believe the Bible for what it says, that you can actually pray to God, and he will hear me, and he might even answer my prayer. Can you imagine that? These are people that believe that if we worship God with all of our heart, mind and soul, that he might visit us with his presence as we come together for him. That these are awesome churches. Some of the issues with these churches is oftentimes they rely on the revelation or the prophecy or the manifestations of God's presence over God himself. Okay, so you, 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 can't, you can't welcome the gift and not receive the giver. Jesus is the giver. The third would be an activist church, and these are just social justice-focused churches. They, they, they want to know where the poor are. They want to know where uh, we can do benevolent acts. These are people who would be actually seeking the welfare of the city, as Jeremiah said we're supposed to do. But oftentimes, what we do in these churches is we lose the focus on sin and, uh, and, and personal evil. It's okay to do good, but if we neglect the fact that we we really are all poor in spirit, those those are the ones who truly are poor. And doing good doesn't necessarily save you. Lastly, I would say you have the missionary and evangelistic church, and these are evangelistic folks. They're trying to get people saved. And I mean, all churches should be doing that. We should all be doing that. 
Uh, these are seeker-sensitive churches. Uh, a lot of times we call them attractional churches or outward-focused churches. They look at the culture. They're trying to give programs and events in the church that will bring the non-church to end. And they have sermons and sermon series that focus on helping those people just handle life. How can I be a better parent? How can I have a better marriage? How can I get my finances right? And those are great messages, but oftentimes we forget some of the, the other issues that are presented in Scripture when we only focus on you know, getting our, our lives right from the, from the sense of those surface-level topics. What, what are some of the others? Word of faith, prosperity, liturgical. All those are great ways to do church. But if we put ourselves in a box, then what happens is we put ourselves in a box. And all these other things that we should be doing, as outlined in these verses, 42 through 47, we neglect those and we become a one, uh, you know, a one trick church. And we should not do that. I'd like you to see these, verse 42 through 47, I'm going to talk about them in a couple seconds. Uh, as seven essential elements needed in Christian discipleship. This, re- this is the bread and butter of who we want to be and who we should be as the church. Verse 42. You guys with me? Y'all all right? Okay. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Four things here. Just, Luke gives us four things we should be doing. First, he says teaching. Um, teaching the apostles teaching would have been about the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus is the hero of scripture, who he was and what he did. And if Jesus is the hero of scripture and we're not talking about him, then we're messing up. We're, We're messing up if we're not talking about Jesus. The apostles here would have been talking about everything that Jesus did and who he was as he walked the earth. They would have been unrolling his Sermon on the Mount, looking at Matthew 5 to 7. They would have been talking about post-resurrection Jesus and what he said about him coming again. They would have been unfolding all of that. Every day, we should be thinking about the person and the work of Jesus. What is, who is Jesus? What has he done for me? And, and receiving the great grace that God has given us all because of Jesus. Fellowship. You know, a lot of times we, we think wrongly about this word. We think it's just hanging out. Christians hanging out, eating a little bit of food, making friends. Really, the word here means partnership and sharing. And so when Luke is using this word, he's saying these people had such a commonality together that they were sharing even their material goods with each other, such that there was no need among them. Um, This was a voluntary effort. They were motivated, motivated by love. John uh, 13, 35 says, and they'll know we're disciples by our love one to another. And so I would pray that our motivation behind everything that we do would be a motivation of love. And this really can make a, a Christian community. Breaking the bread, that's just having meals together. I mean, who doesn't like to eat? And, and also throwing in a little bit of gospel conversation in there, too. This is what they were doing. And then prayers. They're praying in the temple court. They're praying, when they, they, they're praying when they gather. They're praying when they scatter. And we should be doing that as well. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the, through the apostles. This is talking about a reverent fear of God. Fear is one of the dominant themes in all of scriptures, uh, primarily in, in, in Proverbs. And we will at one day unpack what the Bible says about us and our fear of God. But here 
it's, it's generally saying the church experienced such reverent fear of God in response to the miracles that were being performed. The miracles point to the fact that the Holy Spirit was manifest in their presence and it leaned them toward the God that they uh, that they wanted to serve. I think this says something else. God works through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Isn't that this is just awesome. These aren't great people. These are unlearned fishermen and ordinary people that that. Um, hanging around Jesus and a little bit of the Holy Spirit in their life changed them to be just radical for God. And he can do the same thing through us. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Verse 44 and 45, I'm going to take these together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. The optimum word here is unity. The spirit of God in our midst can bring us into great unity with each other such that if there's need amongst all of us, we can both handle those in a personal ministry perspective. My car just broke down. Hey, I I need somebody to take me to work. Uh, um, My baby's sick. I can't do this. Can you go? Can you go run and get me some milk? I need some eggs. Can you give me some eggs Um, or benevolence? I there's not enough money in my pocket to make my bills for this month and I need some help. This is this is the role of the church, personal ministry and benevolence. When we are in unity, we take care of the needs of of those who are in our Christian family, but also the needs of those who are around us. And we should be doing that. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple courts, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. This is the church gathered. And the church scattered. Think about it this way. If Jesus, if the church is people, then we are the we are the church when we come together. But we are also the church when we scatter and do and really do the things that God called us to do to make disciples. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says that we should stir one another, one another up to loving good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, but doing it all the more as we see the day approaching. What's the day approaching? Jesus coming back. So we should be making every opportunity to gather as a church, but also to scatter as his church as well. Because that's, that's really where discipleship happens when we scatter. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day. Those who are being saved. This is the deal. The Lord added. Don't miss that. Jesus added. The church belongs to Jesus and Jesus sovereignly is going to build his church. Our part is to partner with him. This verse speaks to evangelism. This deserves this deserves at least one more sentence. A lot of times when we become Christians and this is a good thing, we we go inward. God puts the Holy Spirit in us and we get this thing that we just want to be around Christian people. Um, We we want to come to church and then we want to go to Christian houses and we want to you know, we want to do all those things that believers are supposed to do as the people of God. This verse is saying that if God is going to add to our number, we can't just be inward. We can't be insular. We've got to turn outward so that we are also engaging those people who aren't like us, who aren't in our community. That's all I'll say about that. Um, I, I could say more. What do we see for the transit? We want to be all this. We want to do all that. We want to have 
great teaching that focuses on the person and the work of Jesus because Jesus is the hero of Scripture. We want to be devoted. We want to have great worship. We want to um, have a high view of Scripture and God's word. We want to invite the manifest presence of God in our midst when we meet and when we scatter. We want to be a missional church. Missional is an adjectival use of the word missionary. What's a missionary? It's someone who goes into a community that's not his native community, and he becomes all things to all people. He learns the language. He learns the people. He learns the culture, and he presents who he is to those that he is becoming a part of. In this sense, we want to present who we are in Christ to those who don't know him. We want to be all of that, doing it all the time. Um, I'll finish up with this. What does this passage mean for us? What, what, what sense do we make of all these words and how can we apply it to our life? The question I would ask you, how do I grow? How do I change given what we see here? Because that's really what we're talking about. Um, the first thing I would say is, is to grow and change and to do what this passage is saying, you've got to become a disciple. And I'm saying two things. Disciple means follow Jesus. And there's some of us that uh, that would say, well, I'm following Jesus. I'm just I'm just doing it on my own terms. I'm not I'm I'm doing it today. Tomorrow I might not do it, but I'll be back. I'm going to. And Jesus would say, you're probably lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out. And that's a hard word. But that's if you're not serving him, you're not serving him. And so if you're if you're not serving him, becoming a disciple would mean Trusting Jesus to save you. Because I don't know if you pay attention, but oftentimes the things that we try to do to save ourselves don't work. I'm in an ocean. I can't swim. And unless someone comes and throws me a lifeline or pulls me into the boat, I'm going to die. And that's us without Jesus. Trust Jesus not just to save you, but trust Jesus uh, that you can surrender to him making him Lord of your life. Take your crown off where you're king of your life. Destroy your throne that you're sitting on and let him be Lord, God, Savior and King. And then submit your life to him. Submit your life to him such that he would allow the Holy Spirit to come in and sanctify you, to change you into the person that you're really praying that you want to be anyway. The secret to a real growth, the secret to real growth and real change in our lives is is at the heart level. And, and we're going to talk about this every Sunday that you come in. Jesus equates our lives to fruit and trees. Who we are on the inside is going to show itself. It, it absolutely is. And so Jesus wants to come in at the heart level and change you at the very lowest level so that you, you are the good fruit that you pretend to be. The second thing would be relook your perspective of church. Um, this is an important saying. How you view the church lends to how you follow Jesus. How you view the church lends to how you follow Jesus. If you think the church is something that you do or I go to versus I am the church, then you'll act that way. And it will mean something that I don't know if Jesus intended when he said, I will build my church and you are my church. Um, this is a hard saying. What if church is not about you? I'm making an ugly face because I, I don't know which, how y'all are going to receive that. What if church is not about you? In other words, what if the programs and events and activities that you attend that you commonly call church 
that's that's not really what we should be working toward. Um, You know, Romans and Corinthians talk about that God has given the church as a body with members and roles and gifts that come together to accomplish God's mission on earth. And that all glorifies Jesus. And so what if the church really is a community on mission versus a mission of the church? A community on mission versus a mission of the church. A mission of the a mission of the community, rather, would be us coming and we're getting entertained. And there's an event here. There's something to do here that that really puffs you up and says, I'm here to serve you. But if we are a a community on mission, then we've taken on God's mission to go and make disciples and to get to know our community. And we're presenting the gospel instead of trying to entertain them. We're giving them Jesus instead of anything shy of that. Thirdly would be reevaluate your your devotion. And this is what we get out of verse 42. These people were devoted. They were devoted. The Christians we see in the book of Acts, they weren't content to just meet once a week. They met daily. They cared daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily. They increased in number daily, which means they were out evangelizing. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality. They were radical about the person and the work of Jesus. And we have to be. If, if, this, is, if this is real, then it has to be. This is what they were real about. They had met or they were, they were convinced that Jesus was who the scripture said he was. That the risen Christ really was a really a living reality, that his resurrection power was living in them and it radically changed their life. I think in short, they were devoted. They had a personal living faith that they owned. They sought God. They did the work of the ministry. They practiced spiritual disciplines. They followed Jesus. Let's do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word does not return void. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to help us respond. This message today was about discipleship, and uh, a disciple is one who follows Jesus. I pray that you would help us to follow Jesus more closely. Lord, that we would not seek events, programs, activities, and call that church. Lord, that we would be a community on mission, on mission with you. God, that you would give us an ability to be devoted to your word, to fellowship, to evangelism, to finding people who don't know you, Lord Jesus, and introducing them to you, to prayer, Lord, to making you known on the earth, to following you, to being your disciples. Lord, change us as we attempt to follow you I pray you would add your Holy Spirit to our effort, that you would fill our gap, Lord, that you would extend us grace where we miss it, and that you would remind us that your grace is enough. You are sufficient, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.